0: Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jerry Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. We are delighted about this podcast. We are going to recap the Southern Baptist Convention 2021. And so if we had...
1: <laughs> you might be overpromising if there.
0: If we had about a week, maybe we <laughs> could do it. But we'll see what we can do in the short time of this podcast. We, we
1: will blindfold ourselves and throw darts and wherever we land,
0: that's what we're going to talk about. It was... It was it, it was. it was. It was. It happened. Yeah. Um, it did. Well, we had a be at Resolve Conference, and that was a wonderful time. Was great. Uh, we sold that out about seven hundred folks. I mean, we could have, we could have sold hundreds of more tickets. I know it was great. The people that were there. Just a big thank you to everybody there. Uh, so many people at that conference. So many people at the convention coming up saying that they listened to this podcast. They benefited from it. They appreciate the teaching of Founders Ministries. So we're very grateful that you are um, benefiting from what God is doing here, and you can actually. Uh, access the live stream of that Be It Resolved conference. It's still up. You can go to founders.org. In order to access the live stream, you have to join the FAM. That is our Founders Alliance membership, and these are people that support us monthly, not only through prayer but also through financial gifts. Mm-hmm. And so go to founders.org if you would like to see that live stream of Be It Resolved, and we're hoping to have the messages from that Be It Resolved conference up very soon.
1: Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, all the speakers just knocked it out of the park. We ended the day with a, a prayer meeting for the SBC, and that was a really sweet time. Time yep. as well so I mean God met with us in, in wonderful ways and very very grateful for that and let me just say a minute here or take a minute to say that how much we appreciate and, and are grateful for the folks that do support us financially and we've got a lot of needs we've got a lot of opportunities I mean, the Lord's doing things with founders the Institute mm-hmm. of Public Theology which is going to launch here in just a couple of months and uh, we could not do these things without the prayer support the financial support the encouragement of so many of our friends and partners And we've got a unique opportunity right now with the Institute of Public Theology. There's a donor who has said that he will match all the gifts that come in. And we got students that are interested, that need scholarship help, and we're trying to find scholarship money for that. Um, there, there's just a lot of things right now in the offing that if uh, and God will supply, we're very confident in that. But appreciate those of you who have and are willing to contribute to this. And if you have means that the Lord has blessed you with, and you'd like to know more about how you could help us and partner with some very big opportunities, uh, we'd welcome talking to you.
0: If there were ever a time for an institute of public theology... The time would be now. The, Last year, the, the 10 ta- years ago. <laughs> the tagline of the Institute of Public Theology is Christ above all earthly powers. But I'm right. thinking after the convention, maybe we could change the tagline of our institute to the world is watching. <laughs> 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 uh, that was the oft-repeated phrase That's at right. the convention. And it was often the reason why we did the foolish things that we did.
1: Yeah. yeah hey, there was a Who's that singer years ago? You know, God is watching us. God is watching. I wanted to just break out seeing that a couple of
0: times. You know, like, hey, God. God is watching too. Yes, there's so much to recap here. I hope that we can touch on Resolution 9, number one, uh, the presidency of Ed Litton, him being elected, number two, uh, a resolution I tried to submit but didn't get accepted, God's Good Hierarchical Design, three, and fourth, maybe some of the sexual abuse investigation <laughs> stuff with the EC and then the ERLC. I don't know if we're going to yeah. get it, but that's at least, that's our goal. Let's and we got we an know.
1: aftermath too because now we got Sermon Gate.
0: We Ed, have Sermongate, yeah, which so. we can subsume under number two with the SBC president, Ed Litton. Let's yeah. put it right there because it involves Ed Litton That's right. and J.D. Greer. So, uh, but resolution nine first, I really think this is the this is the entryway. If you were to understand the uh, shenanigans of the SBC, if you were to understand where we're at, you have to deal with resolution nine. Two years ago, uh, we adopted resolution nine, which said we're going to use critical race theory and intersectionality as analytical tools. It was a bad resolution. It's well documented. So you had a plan to rescind mm-hmm. resolution nine. You were very public about that. Um, Here we are at the convention. We had our Monday meeting. It was great. 700 folks. It was just a wonderful time. We walk in Tuesday. Now I, I was texting you and I said, I said, do you want me to find a spot for us? And you said, yes. And genuinely, I get the bulletin. (laughs) I'm there early. I walk to a microphone paying no attention. I promise. So for those who are going to say there was something to it, I just happened to end up at microphone number nine. Number nine. Now, I I promise. I'm telling you. I did not intend it. But I did look up and I thought, huh, isn't that mic number nine after a while? What luck. But you're there early Tuesday morning. Yeah. You stand up to rescind it.
1: Well, more than that. I mean, I sent in word for word my intended motion Uh the day before. And I did this because I was asked to do it, you know. And I I mean, this is what's so interesting. I was thinking about this morning, you know, before we came on here. Um, In 2019, the amendments that I uh, proposed, you know, a friendly amendment, I sent those to the platform so they had them there to look at before I got to a microphone. I mean, I'm not trying to do anything politically behind the scenes. I'm not trying to play gotcha, you know. I mean, this is I want us to have an honest conversation like adults especially Christian adults ought to be able to have. So I did that Sunday before or Monday before the convention met on Tuesday. I send in electronically my motion that I'm going to make. I send in another motion that I'm going to make. I said here are things that I intend to do and want you to have them in advance. And so they had all the stuff that I was going to say and uh, you know they were very prepared uh, in what to do. So I make the motion and it Uh, gets a round of applause.
0: Round of applause. I mean, the place really did erupt. There were, I think they said there were almost 20,000 people in there, maybe 15,000 messengers, people that can vote. And when you make a motion, for those of who don't know the SBC or Robert's Rules, you're making a motion. You know it's not going to be debated right then. You know Mm -hmm. it's not going to be voted on right then. um, But you're you're filing it. You have to get
1: on the business agenda later.
0: And when you made that motion at that mic, you know, it's a big jumbotron. They shine a light in your face. You get to Um, hear
1: yourself speaking about two seconds after you say the words. I was told by guys that know tech.
0: that you know this might be strategic at the stage you have a feedback you have a monitor yeah. you know Cubs you got nice that. lighting uh, They might have makeup artists back there i don't know what they have but down on the floor i mean you that's look right. like straight with, with the unwashed
1: masses down there you have to hear two or three things yeah. going at once yeah, yeah.
0: but anyway, any rate you made a you made a very good motion to rescind resolution nine and it just sounded like the whole stadium i mean maybe uh, evidently not because we didn't get the vote but a ton of people just erupted yeah. saying let's rescind that thing uh that's filed And then later on in the convention, before a decision is made about your motion to rescind what Mm -hmm. happened two years ago, um, there was another resolution put forward. We put forward another resolution on the incompatibility of CRTI and the Baptist faith and message. Right Now, when you submit a resolution, there is a resolutions committee. Uh, This year it was chaired by Pastor James Merritt. And there's, there's other people up there mm-hmm. on, on the committee. And what they do is they, they receive all of these. So mm-hmm. these are filed beforehand. They're filed appropriately. And you get a note that says, you know, we can accept your resolution. We can decline your resolution. We can change your resolution. So they, they let you know up front this is what happens. So what they did is they took the incompatibility resolution that had over 1,300 signatures on it.
1: Of Southern Baptists, of Southern
0: Baptists For in those,
1: churches that are cooperating in friendly cooperation with the SBC.
0: Yes, and if you're not familiar, okay, that's unique. Okay, so all <laughs> of the other resolutions, like I don't, but don't hold me this, but I, I scanned. I mean, maybe four people signed, maybe five, like not twenty, not seventy-five, not we were 1300.
1: told, We were told before the convention by those who are in places to know that prior to this year, the, the most people that had ever submitted a resolution jointly was five. Okay,
0: was five. Yeah. So 1,300 plus, and they have to print all of the names. So in the <laughs> bulletin, you you can see the ones they accept, you see the resolutions they accept that we're gonna vote on, you see the ones they declined and why they declined them, and they put the name of the signers. Well, when you got to resolution on incompatibility, it was like, Four turn the page, and a names, half pages. names, names. Four names, and a half pages. Names, names, names. All right. At any rate, the resolutions committee did not accept that resolution. They did not present it to the convention. For debate right. and for affirmation because or voting, those eight or nine members of the committee determined better than the thirteen hundred that submitted the resolution. Yes, and now it's their job, Tom. Somebody's <laughs> going to say, Tom, they told you they could do it. Sure, they yes, can. You oh, know, no, I'm not
1: saying they couldn't do it. It's just if like you the were Supreme on the Court. It's committee. like Supreme Court, right? You know, nine unelected people. <laughs>
0: <who> <laughs> oh boy. So so they they don't just outright decline the incompatibility resolution. What? you can do is they, they refer it to another resolution that they did accept called resolution. No they wrote. Two. Okay. Did they write it? I didn't yeah. know who submitted it. Okay, resolution two. So they basically saying your resolution is so close to this resolution, just just see resolution two. Resolution 2, I guess, is a fine resolution. I looked at it, and yeah. it's, it's on a racial reconciliation and the sufficiency of scripture. Right, no
1: ideologies, you know, it's, it rejects be into. theories in general. Yeah. Sin's a problem, always sin. Rejects Behind racism, abuse. sin.
0: But doesn't say a word about CRTI. Because
1: CRTI is not in the Bible. We heard that, right?
0: That was said. That was said. <laughs> so CRTI is not mentioned in Resolution 2. Right. Okay. It, it is mentioned by name in Resolution 9 from two years ago Absolutely, that we adopted. We said we're going to use it as a tool. And it's
1: being mentioned in nearly every school board meeting across the United States by people who are desperately concerned, and even some governors like our own Governor DeSantis who says we will not have this taught in our school system our on taxpayer da- dollars. My, my
0: mother's a superintendent in a county school in, in one of the counties in Florida. She's getting directives. You're not going to teach it. CRT, I mean, Governor DeSantis, <laughs> I am. I mean, she says, I've not, I've not felt this kind of force before. They're coming down with it but um but resolution two doesn't say doesn't name Mm crti at all Uh, there was an effort i I know the first guy to the mic first or second guy went on this long extensive rant about you know to be anti-crt is just as bad to promote tenants of crt and he went on this whole thing i thought it was very interesting if you see the dynamics i said why is he he's arguing for resolution two which doesn't say anything about crti why is he arguing against the idea mm-hmm. of naming CRTI? Like, well, He knew, I mean, everybody Absolutely. knew what was going on here. Are Absolutely. we gonna name CRTI or not? And so why in the world would we not name critical race theory and intersectionality?
1: Yeah, well, Vody Bauckham says it was just because of cowardice. I mean, I'm just quoting Vodi, that's what he said when he was asked about this, is it was an act of cowardice not to do so, um, you know. Well, i mean, voting pretty sharp about these things. And so uh, I think it's merits consideration on that, but a decision was made, obviously that we are not going to do anything official with regard to CRTI. We're just not going to do it, but we're going to say the things are right, good and true. And that's fine. I mean, we ought to say what's right, good and true. We ought to be positive. But as I, uh, told one member of the, uh, nominating committee or the, uh, uh resolutions Uh, resolutions committee prior to the convention it's great to be positive but you do realize you can't be christian and just be positive because eight of the ten commandments are negative Mm -hmm. so you can't just say oh yeah i believe this but i don't believe this we uh, luther said it you can't just be affirmations you must have denials as well and if we don't do that well then we leave ourselves open to misinterpretation to being unclear and um, obviously, you just look at the wake of the SBC. That's exactly what's happened. You got people who are clearly anti-CRT. You got people that are pro-CRT, and they're both saying, "What a great resolution this is." Yeah,
0: and you don't get to be clear two years ago, say yeah. we have no problem naming it two years ago, right. but now we're not going to name it. You are leaving people confused. Is critical race theory and intersectionality one of the theories that is addressed in resolution two? And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. And and Erin Burnett out front at CNN doesn't know because she was in a she was in an interview. <laughs> With the new newly elected president Ed Litton. and she's like, you know, some are some are upset because your your convention's adopted critical race through and intersectionality, and he's like, oh no, no, we haven't, we haven't, and she's like, oh well, I mean, uh, maybe I'm confused, maybe we're we're not on the same page. I'm thinking, yeah, they're not on the same page <laughs> yeah. because the narrative was the world is watching, the world is watching. We can't we can't name CRTI in resolution two.
1: But another thing that another dimension of this is that there are several state Southern Baptist conventions who have adopted resolutions disavowing critical race theory and intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And so you've got states that have been very clear and uh, you know, very vocal in saying, no, we reject this. And now the national convention says, you know, we're not gonna name it because it's not in the Bible.
0: Yeah, this is so important to understand the cancer in the <clears throat> SBC, in, in my opinion, I really believe this. At one point, James Merritt, who's the chair of the resolutions committee, said that when he was trying to uh, bundle resolutions way down the line. He said, we accepted them in, I think, like a descending order of difficulty. That's right. so importance. He, he, yeah. he knew that the kind of the tough ones were going to be up front. So I went and looked at Resolution 1 because I'm thinking, what's tougher than Resolution 2? You know, this is the CRTI thing. Well, Resolution 1 was on, like, um, our evangelistic witness. <laughs> unity. And, unity. Yeah. And then there was language in Resolution 1 that said, we're not going to allow our personal theological, political, and other kinds of interests to supersede our evangelism and our witness. And so think about that. You're saying we're not gonna let a personal theological interest supersede our evangelism. So we're we're bringing theology underneath of evangelism, allowing evangelism to supersede theology. And there was a there was a man uh who made a wonderful one I believe it was a one word amendment. Yeah. He said can, secondary. Can we secondary. just add the word secondary before theological? Right. Because, you know, there's important theological interests that do supersede our evangelism. And I thought, well, this is this is a shoe-in. It's a one word amendment. It's a good amendment. And I noticed James Merritt from the beginning was like stalwart against it. He mm-hmm. said he said, We will not accept that. We will not accept that. And he went through why. And I yeah. thought, huh. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for what Resolution 2 was gonna do yet. I thought, why wouldn't you accept that? Well, then comes Resolution 2. And of course, they were stalwart against that. Uh, James Merritt uh, gave, got up and gave a sermon. You know, we have this video clip where he actually gave a sermon where he's talking about uh, CRTI and the gospel. Listen to this.
2: So fellow messengers, let's just put it on the table. Okay. All it's time to find out who we are. And where we're headed, I want to say this bluntly and plainly: If some people were as passionate about critical about the gospel as they were critical race theory, we bring this world to Christ. Tomorrow. <laughs> Address the question. When I was a student at Stetson University, my first semester, I read the New Testament through 27 times. I've read the Bible through every year for probably the last 40 years. I found a lot about race. I found a lot about race. There's only one race, the human race. And it's all, we're all created in the image of God. I found a lot about racial reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not just reconcile God to man, but people to people. CRT doesn't do that. But I didn't find CRT in the Bible. Well, correction, I did find it. It stands for Christ returns triumphantly. We've got a choice. Well,
0: there it is, take your pick. Take your pick. Critical race theory on the one hand. Or the or gospel. the gospel. You're going to be passionate about one. Now, the critical race theory is an ideology that subverts the gospel of Jesus Christ and would lead people to hell, and we're told to not be taken captive by vain philosophies. Worldviews and theories that we're actually rejecting in Resolution 2 that he's advocating for, but we're just not naming it. So,
1: You know, I want to say, can you imagine? How much further the gospel would have run in the first century through the Roman Empire if the Apostle Paul had been as concerned about the gospel as he was about the Judaizers? Hmm. You know, if he'd have been as passionate about the gospel as he was about those folks perverting the gospel, no telling what would have happened. Yeah. Eschaton might already be
0: here but this is a, so this is a sign of many things yeah, and sadly it it's not just it's not just the the leadership though it is the leadership there's huge responsibility on the shoulders of those who are on that committee who are unwilling to name the theory because they knew what was going to happen and and James went on to say that this is something about uh, bridges you know that this idea of if we name the theory the theory that's going to harm the world the mm-hmm. theory that's going to harm people if we name it well we're going to undercut our evangelism well it's just wrong headed it's exactly backwards. Yeah. You, you don't undercut uh, your evangelistic witness by naming theories that are contrary to the gospel of exactly. Jesus
1: Christ. I mean, we are called, especially pastors are called, church leaders are called to protect the flock, to shepherd the flock of God and we are warned that there are those that are always trying to come in to deceive God's people. Jesus warned about wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, Paul warns about these philosophies that are empty and that are destructive and that are plausible that we must stand against. And so this idea that, oh, goodness, you know, if you are concerned as much about the gospel as you are about those things, then, I mean, it's just silly. It, it, that's the best I can say about it. It is a silly, silly argument to make. And it is indicative of what is wrong at, at so many levels, at deep levels within the SBC, is that we give lip service to the Bible. We say, oh yeah, we believe the Bible. We've all signed the Baptist faith and message. We look at our confessions of faith. We sign, look at my signature on here. And we just don't really care about a lot that the Bible actually says. Mm. I mean, I don't know how to say it any pain, any less painful than Mm. that. Mm. It's a sad reality.
0: Yeah. So uh, any attempt to get the original resolution that was submitted on the incompatibility of CRTI with the Baptist the message uh, attached or worked in or that language worked in that was shut down a uh, resolution two was adopted it, as written without any critical race theory and that's right. and, language and
1: there were i mean again i don't i'm not accusing anyone of doing this intentionally but there were at least four Four or five people, and I don't know how many microphones there were in the room at least nine but there were four or five people at different microphones prepared to speak in behalf of the original resolution, including at one of those microphones Carol Swain, who is a a law expert, I mean, a Southern Mm. Baptist, a wonderful, bright lady, Mm. and couldn't get a voice, couldn't get a hearing. I mean, it's a tragedy. You know, when, when Carol Swain cannot speak in the Southern Baptist Convention on a matter that she is well-versed in. Yeah. And yet, there she was, left standing at the mic like a lot of us were.
0: Okay, so that wasn't accepted. Uh, and then we thought, okay, so we didn't get a resolution. in. again, 1,300 people signed this resolution. <laughs> it didn't get accepted, and we couldn't get any kind of amendment made to actually identify CRTI at all. Now, we're hoping maybe, maybe your motion to rescind. You know, you had filed <laughs> that day yeah. one. It was day two and we were going to f- hear the feedback uh, on that decision. So when we heard the feedback, um, they had uh, the you know, lawyers there and all those kind of people and parliamentary procedures, mm. and they come, and I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but they basically said, Tom, you're standing at the mic. Tom, you know, appreciate your sentiment and all that, but we can't rescind motions from previous um, conventions, Tom. Just can't be done. Uh, there's no way to actually, that, that was that convention, this is this convention, we can't rescind it. And my favorite part is the ad is the P.S. Tom. What you want to do if you if you disagree with a resolution from a previous year is submit your own resolution on uh, the next year, next time that. Disagrees with it. That corrects. That's a great
1: it. idea. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> like,
0: that's what we did. We sent we sent one in with thirteen hundred signatures. It's a whole new thing. Never been done in SBC life, and it was it was given the stiff arm. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for uh, for informing me uh, about what I'm doing. That's to a do.
1: great strategy. I'm going to remember that for next year. You know, the other thing I did is I made a motion that no monies from the cooperative program budget, nearly one hundred and ninety million dollars. Uh, be dispersed or allocated to any entity or institution that in any way would support, advocate, or promote any of the tenets of critical race theory and intersectionality. And again, you know, I sent that in. They had that a day before it came up for a discussion. And that also was ruled out of order. And I found it very fascinating, the rationale for them not accepting that motion. It was because we have trustees. You know, there's no mechanism for determining how this is, if this was being done or not in an institution. And we have trustees. That's the job of the trustees. I was, oh, oh, now trustees are important. Now we're supposed to trust the trustee system. Whereas in other things that were done at this convention, the trustees were completely
0: disregarded Mm. so I mean summarizing resolution nine and then resolution two this from this year uh, the real the clear thing that came across to me was the world is watching we're not going to name CRTI and there were people outside when I was leaving like yelling uh in uh, objection to the Southern Baptist Convention in general Uh, probably thinking the SBC is racist they were they were chanting about, you know, you want to talk about critical race theory and intersectionality, da-da-da-da-da. So there was pressure upon the SBC, and the leaders especially felt that pressure and thought, we can't name CRTI because the world's watching. Right. The Washington Post is here, the New York Times is here. If we name this, we're going to be called racist, and we're going to be called unloving, and we're going to lose our witness. So uh, second thing, SBC presidency. You had Mike Stone, who was running as uh, at least... Uh, kind of the most conservative candidate. He's speaking Mm. directly to issues. He's saying that churches that have women pastors, They should not be in the SBC. He's saying critical race and intersectionality are bad. He's saying the SBC is not in a good way. So he's kind of taking that move. Ed Litton would appear to be running the candidate further to the left, although he's claimed that he's a moderate, but we know that... um, No, he claims
1: he's a conservative. I'm sorry, he claims that he's a conservative. He
0: claims that there are no moderates in the SBC. So he's claiming he's a conservative, but still he's the clearest to the left. He has his wife preach with him on Sunday. We saw that. Uh, His confessional statement on his church said that there were parts in God. Three parts. So we had a heresy on the doctrine of God. That was actually changed from the day he was elected to SBC president within about thirty or forty five minutes, and the next day it was it was changed on his website, uh, and more stuff has come out. So I think it's legitimate to say that he, he's running as a candidate further to the left, Mike to the right. Al Mueller seems to be kind of coming in the middle, maybe trying to appease what the the fault line that appears to be there, and uh, Al did not get through the first round he came in third mm-hmm. with mike stone coming in in the first vote with the most votes and ed coming in the second place with right. the second most votes
1: yeah and it was really uh i mean i just regardless who wins the presidency i hate what happened i mean there was a smear campaign against mike stone and it, it just grieves me i think i don't know if we've talked about it on this program we've written about it but uh you, you had russell moore's private letters you know emails one email that he sent to some of his board at the ERLC before he resigned, I guess it was a year ago, and then a private letter, like 13, 14 pages that he sent to J.D. Greer, the president of the SBC, that also was leaked. You know, so rather somebody said that, you want to, you know what you call uh, an SBC press conference? Leaking. You know, you, you leak things. That's mm-hmm. an SBC press conference. So anyway, all these things that just smeared the uh, executive committee, and maybe the executive committee needs to be examined. Maybe they did some things wrong, but Personally, by name, went after Mike Stone, and then even at the convention, there was a woman that approached Mike Stone and his wife in the presence of others, and walked away, and said, "You know, he told me that I was ripping the SBC apart." And this woman uh, says she's a survivor of sex abuse. Maybe I don't know her; I don't know anything about her story. But everybody pounced on that. Said, "I can't believe Mike Stone would do this." I mean, there's no did it happen? It's automatically believed that it did happen. And I talked to multiple people, multiple people at the SBC who said, you know, Tom, we know that you said you were voting for Mike Stone. You thought that was a good choice, but we just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Couldn't do We didn't do it in the runoff. You know, we didn't vote for him in the first ballot, voted for Al Moeller, but in the runoff, we just didn't vote because there's too many questions over him. One guy in particular said, I said, Well, what's the, wh- wh- where'd your concerns come from? He said, Well, the audio files that Philip Bethencourt, who was the former number two at the ARLC uh, before he left to go pastor a church in Texas, said, Those audio files that he released, I said, Did you listen to the audio files? He said, Well, no, I just read Bethencourt's description of them. I said, well, now that you've read the description, go back and listen to the audio files themselves. Mm -hmm. And then you will realize just how you have been manipulated the way they wanted you to be
0: manipulated. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) there's so much that could be said here, but we do need an educated, group of Southern Baptists so that they're not played in the way that they were just played. And by
1: educated, you mean
0: biblical. Yes, biblical and and, and, and wise to what God's word says about such things. Because what Russell Moore did was... Not appropriate. It was no. not in accordance with God's word. And it it's cowardly. It, it's hard to process because you're getting all of it second and third hand. But what we clearly know is that 16 months ago, Russell Moore, as the president of the ERLC, wrote a private letter to some of his trustees mm-hmm. in which he spoke of certain executive committee members using guerrilla tactics against him tactics that he identifies in his letter, his private letter, as as tactics that create a culture in which women are raped and children are torn to shreds. This is read. what Russ said 16 months ago to his trustees in a private letter. Let
1: me read to you that section read of that. this letter that has now been released. I'm trying to say this as clearly as I can to you, brothers and sisters. These are the tactics that have been used to create a culture where countless children have been torn to shreds, where women have been raped and then broken down. Now, if the head, I mean, just any man, forget Christian, forget head of an entity. Any man is privy to a culture where this is going on and it's going on regularly, and he doesn't intervene and do everything in his power to stop it. I question whether he really is a man. I, there's something wrong with that. Multiply that with a Christian man. A Christian man, really, who loves Jesus? Multiply that with a Christian leader man who let this go on for 16 months, if not longer. There's something severely wrong with a guy like that who can let these kind of things go on, report it, do nothing about it, and it gets leaked
0: Yes, and he's saying that this happened behind closed doors, he uses language like in the shadows, he uses Mm -hmm. language like I'm not gonna participate in in covering up these kinds of things. And he says nothing publicly, the letters are not leaked, the the information is not made public for the Southern Baptists to actually deal with it for 16 months until a week or so, right (laughs) before an election in which Mike Stone, who was the chair of the executive committee, all of a sudden the information is leaked. Now, what does it signal to you if something is leaked? We're told now that one trustee member released this statement. That means that Russell Moore was leaving the Southern Baptist Convention and he was going over to Christianity today and he wasn't going to say anything about the wicked things he experienced behind closed doors. You mean to tell me there are men on the executive committee that are using tactics to create a culture in which women are raped? And you, Russell Moore, went to Christianity today and said nothing. Right. I hope there's not that kind of stuff going on at Christianity today. Because if it is, Russell Moore could be privy to it and not let anyone know publicly. He hasn't said anything publicly, but all of a sudden, one trustee leaks a letter. And this is what is so
1: grievous. I mean, in the wake of of these leaked letters in the wake of philip bethencourt's audio files where he says yeah nobody wants to do this but somebody's got to i'm going to be the whistleblower everybody's oh how brave oh thank you oh how much you care and i'm thinking seriously seriously to to, first of all What they did was wicked. It was unbiblical. Secondly, for people to applaud it, for Christians to applaud it, it shows you, again, just how badly, no matter how many documents we've signed, how many confessions of faith we wave and say we believe, we do not know the word of God. So when we're thinking about the SBC and what the problems are and how to address them, it's not Who's the president? It's not who's the head of this entity. It's not uh, these these resolutions that were adopted or not adopted. Brothers and sisters, we got fundamental problems with God and God's Word, and and if we don't own up to that, we'll just continue to play games over here
0: on the surface. Yeah. So because of the letters, these two letters that uh, Russell Moore wrote uh, privately that were then leaked. Um, there was great, uh, a great movement to investigate the executive committee, that's an 80-member body, uh, to see if they mishandled any of these things. Mm. And I made a motion that we investigate the ERLC, except my motion abided by 1 Corinthians 6, and uh, the other one, it doesn't appear to me to do so. Um, but I wanted this to be done by Christians, by pastors within the Southern Baptist Convention. And we need to know, when did you have this information? We know, it's now public, that you had it 16 months ago. So if it's important now mm-hmm. and necessitates an investigation, why wasn't it important 16 months ago? So perhaps what Russell Moore experienced behind closed doors wasn't as bad as he has portrayed it. Or if it was, then we have a big, big, big problem that we're finding out about at 16 months later. So that, uh, by the Committee on Order of Business, my motion has been referred to the ERLC. So now the ERLC is going to be investigating themselves. <laughs> and I think it's worth us contacting the trustees of the ERLC mm-hmm the ones who had this information for 16 months. That's the executive committee of the ERLC, by the way, that has this information. We need to talk to the one trustee member who leaked it. Why did you leak it? We now know that's public. Why did you leak this letter? Why did you leak it 16 months after you received it? What happened? Um, what else do you know? Do, right. Were there other kinds of terrible things? Uh, there's no way you're actually going to be able to investigate the EC if you don't actually begin to investigate the ERLC and say, what did the president, uh, the former president, Russell Moore, know? When did you know it? And why in the world did we keep it covered up for so long if Was that serious? Yeah,
1: and there need to be some straight answers to very simple questions in this whole investigation process, just as you frame them right then. It's not enough to say, oh, you know, yeah, we we dealt with this and it's all covered. No, no, no. How could the head of an ethics commission cover up for at least 16 months, maybe longer, but probably longer? what he calls this culture that contributes to the shredding of children ripping them apart a culture of women being raped how could he cover that up for at least 16 months maybe longer and think that he is somehow fulfilling his responsibility as a man as a christian as a head of an ethics commission i mean those kind of things need to be asked if you sweep that under the rug then you're just further contributing to the rot that needs to be exposed and needs to be excised from
0: this convention of churches. Yeah, and let me work uh, back way now that we've talked about the ERLC investigation. This is why I wish that uh, God's good hierarchical design, a resolution that I submitted, would have been addressed because it deals with hierarchy. It deals with authority. Yeah, but it, there's
1: too much interpretation in there, Jared. You that, know, was you-
0: the, that was the charge, that, there was, <laughs> that it was an interpretation of the Baptist faith and message. Now you can go and find God's good hierarchical design on uh, founders.org we'll probably put it in the show notes for you You can see my resolution exactly how I submitted it Uh, I wanted to deal with the spheres I dealt with hierarchy in the civil realm I dealt with it in the home I dealt with it in the in the church and all of that's playing a part because people are confused about that and they say well the president of the entity sent me something and i didn't know what to do with it and what's my responsibility as a trustee what authority do i have and how am i to respond so it would have been very very good for southern Baptists to have had that conversation but go look at god's good hierarchical design and think about the rejection of it from the resolutions committee on the basis that it's an interpretation of the baptist faith and message you'll find that there is little to no interpretation of the Baptist faith and message, or even of scripture, what I did is string together a number of quotes from the Apostle Paul, ones that I was concerned about, uh, SBC, People and leadership, perhaps not agreeing with, and I think that their rejection of that uh, resolution is a sign that they really don't want to put forward what the Apostle Paul says clearly in the New Testament.
1: Yeah, again, I mean, there's all kind of agendas at play here, and and you know we could go on and on again. There's just so much evidence of things underneath the surface that are really bad. And again, we're not trying to throw stones or throw people under the bus, man. We're part of this family as well. The question has come to us multiple times. And I mean, I got texts this morning. I've got emails. uh, I got phone calls to return today from pastors saying, how in the world can I, lead my church to stay in the SBC. I'm getting phone calls from my people. I'm having people ask me after church, why are we Southern Baptists? They just see the nonsense that is going on. Well, the way we approach it, I wrote an article about this that we'll put in the notes as well, that the the Southern Baptist Convention is not important, but it does matter. It matters. So you know, if you look at uh, the SBC and your church's involvement in it and your involvement in it as an individual or pastor and you think that that is primary to your identity, well, then you're gonna think about these things differently than we do. I mean, praise God for all the good things SBC's ever done is doing now. But our primary identity as a church, our identity as pastors of a church, is not Southern Baptist. I mean, we're not saying that's not, a, that, we don't put that up on our calling card. And I really think that the attitude that recognizes, okay, the SBC is not that important, but it does matter, provides a greater possibility for being helpful to the SBC and leading the SBC into to, to healthier pathways than if you think, man, the SBC is the be all end all, and we've got to do this. the SBC is the greatest thing and it's the God's last greatest hope, or saying the SBC is just ridiculous and we're done with it. We're not going to do anything about it because the SBC matters. What happens in the SBC impacts the broader evangelical world, and actually impacts what's going on around the world in various missions efforts. Mm-hmm. So if all the good churches leave the SBC, then it's just going to be in the hands of those churches that aren't as good, and those leaders who, the junk we've talked about, they try to cover up or they think this is not that bad, these guys are just cranks and they're, they're making mountains out of molehills. The SBC's not going away, and so if you're gonna be involved, then be involved to try to make it healthy, but do so without thinking, oh, you know, this is it. This is the mountain. This is the place we've got to take it. If we don't, yeah. then all is lost.
0: Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch the uh, the fundamentalist narrative unfold. So David <laughs> French's article yeah. is just crazy, and uh, yeah. So you have these you have these uh, piratical fundamentalists <laughs> who are who are gonna take, pirates. There They're going to take <laughs> yeah. the ship, you know. And then you have the you have the the liberalism, and then you have the Carl F. H. Henry uh, warm evangelicalism that's still respected and can can kind of do the the conversations on. On CNN and that kind of thing, and that's the setup of a lot of a lot of people. Um, but I'm trying to help people see that is not the genuine situation. You're not dealing. You're taking an old paradigm and you're applying it to a modern mm-hmm. situation. We are dealing with a fault line, vodi Bauckham. You need to read Votie Bacham's book and you need to see that, there, that that social justice fault line is a sign of a deeper fault line in our churches, in our society. And there's gonna be two sides and it's going to be all the Christians on one side of every stripe. And the unbelievers on the other side. And if you have that set up, what happens is you become um, you know, generous in spirit. So it's like, it's funny. Some people want to probably throw us in the fundamentalist camp. I'm thinking, I'm broader. I'm, I, I'm in the SBC. Yeah. I, the president of, my, of, the, of the SBC I'm a part of has his wife preach with him on Sunday. I, you wouldn't get a fundamentalist in that kind of situation. But you can have this... Um, joyful way of saying, yeah, I'm going to keep laboring on because I love the saints. I love Christians. And, and not again, not just SBC, but it's broader than that. And if you see what's coming in our society... Well, I think that can give you good reason to say, I'll stay. Uh, You have to have your lines drawn. And for anybody that wants to step out now, I say, you know, I understand. Sure, absolutely. But I think you you have the Baptist Faith and Message. I mean, we're a 1689 church, so Mm -hmm. we've never been happy with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It's not enough for us. So, but you still have it. Sure. And you know, you you can't actually be in the SBC and have women pastors. Now we have a problem of having that situation, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because you still have the Baptist Faith and Message two thousand that has to be agreed to in order to be a missionary, in order to be a church planner, in order to be a church that's in happy cooperation. And while we're messing around, you mm-hmm. still have that. You still have that grounding. So we're going to call people to it and see what happens over the coming years. But particularly, do that given the setup in our culture and what is happening. Yeah, right. I want I, I want to be with all the Christians. I'm willing to have that big tent. If you do end up changing your confession or you refuse to remove churches that are clearly not in uh, cooperation with it, well, then we're going to have to talk.
1: Yeah, because the, the biggest fault line, and Vody's talking about within evangelicalism, but the biggest dividing line is the church in the world. It's the pagan religion and it's the Christian religion. And so, yeah, I'm willing to live together with brothers and sisters that we don't agree with on details of our own confession. And I'm willing to try to link arms where we can with Presbyterians and uh, converted Methodists and others that we wouldn't even start a church together with because of where we are in our culture and what is coming. We, we need to have that kind of genuine uh, Catholic type of spirit toward other believers. But where we can't remain silent is whenever we've got folks on this side of that, that divide, Christians, who are aiding and abetting the pagan religion by saying, oh, these things don't matter. You know, the, the the Bible doesn't talk much about homosexuality and Jesus never said anything about critical race theory. And I mean, when you start doing that, you are helping the enemy, you're helping the paganism. And so as Christians, we, we've got to stand against the world. We got to try to bring the world to Christ, go to after those pagans that are being duped in their, um, their blindness to these false gods and try to preach to them the true God who has grace for sinners in Jesus Christ who gave up his son so that sinners can be reconciled to him, have life everlasting, forgiveness of sins, and at the same time, we've got to say to our brothers and sisters on our side of this massive divide, stop it. Stop that. What you're doing stop is not that. helpful. You're being manipulated. You think you're doing good. You're actually doing evil. We need you to be quiet. And the, the bigger problem is when the people doing that are in leadership. Then we need to say, look, not only stop it, but step down. Okay, I mean, go get down and let's have conversations and help you be retrained in what the Bible actually says. And so we can't we can't do either or we got to do both.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Which is which educating Southern Baptists, discipling Southern Baptists on uh, what it really means to say, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to refrain from telling you to stop it. Right. I I love you. Stop it. And I love the unbelievers. Two, so stop, stop it. it. And matter of fact, the world is watching. So stop it. So yeah. The world's watching. So would you name CRTI and tell them that it is bad for them? Don't, don't poison them. Don't, don't let them poison themselves and let Aaron Burnett out front be confused about what you really believe. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful when you get it. So the problem is, there is a lot of setup. I see a lot of guys, I think, that are kind of positioned for that warm evangelical middle. They, they And I'm thinking, guys, you've got to genuinely love people. As yeah. Vodi said, I mean, Vodi said this a long time ago. So what would you say to these evangelicals? leaders who haven't really, he said, I tell him to man up. In love. Yeah. And that is, it, it's a lack of courage. It was cowardice that we didn't address it. It was a lot of the things. If you go through what, what we've done, it is cowardice. And it's not genuine love, and it's not gentleness, and it's mm. not goodness. Right. It's not those things. It's not brotherly love, and it's not preserving our unity. And there is a theological problem because if you go back to Resolution 1, Resolution's the preamble to Resolution 2. Resolution 1 is an argument for Resolution 2 as written, which says, hey guys, those theological interests. And those those political interests, which are entirely outside of the Christian faith, you know, they don't have this lordship of Christ. They don't have this Kuyperian vision. They don't have a lot of the things that we've been talking about. They're completely outside. It's where you can say something like James Merritt did. You know, he'd Mm -hmm. he'd be concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to say, hold on theology informs your evangelism mm-hmm. it's that simple and you're gonna have to get serious and theology informs love and what love absolutely is. And you what know christian brotherhood is
1: uh, you know ed Stetzer wrote an article for christianity today that i was uh, interviewed on a uh, christian worldview radio recently and they read the article to me i had not read it yet in which he says that southern baptist chose the way of love rather than legalism you know by electing ed Lytton rather than mike stone and I think really, you know, love versus legalism. And he went on this you know, explanation of that. But biblical love, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, rejoices in truth, rejoices in truth. If you think it is loving to downplay truth or to let truth be uh, slain in the streets and do nothing about it, you don't understand either love or truth. And we get our definitions of both. From God's word. Comes right back to it. What we've been saying here for now years is that we've got to come back to the scripture, let God Himself define for us these realities that we must live with every day. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who set the rules for the world. He's the one that reveals to us what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is good and bad. And when you start tinkering, With his definitions, you might still call yourself uh, people who are thinking biblically, but you have wandered far afield from what God himself has actually said.
0: Yeah. Ed Stitzer also wrote another piece that says Southern Baptist wrote a fork in the road, and the fork in the road is whether they're going to deal with the rampant racism kind of thing or not, whether they're going to deal with the sexual abuse stuff or not. And, you know, I'm saying... We're at a fork in the road, but it's not that fork. No. Uh, I'm convinced that the Christians uh, that assemble there for the Southern Baptist Convention abominate both of those sins. Sure. They abominate them. Yeah, who that, that's, not a who fork. that's not a fork in the road. The fork in the road is, are you going to follow Yahweh or are you going to follow Baal? You know, It's Elijah showing up and saying, if Baal is God, serve him. And if the Lord is God, then follow him. But how long are you gonna go on limping between two opinions? So yeah. that, that is our message to the Southern Baptist Convention at large and the leadership that is highly concerned about the world watching them. It is choose this day whom you will serve. Who is it going to be? And for those who are a part of what's going on and they, like they're like they with us, they see all of the problems, our encouragement to you is go on being a jolly warrior. Truly love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when shame comes or you're ruled out of order for the 17th time, <laughs> you say, well, I, I still, I love all of these people and I love them yeah. enough to stay here and to continue to speak the truth to you and pray that God will send that rain.
1: Amen. Let your, your main focus of your life be built around your church. I mean, certainly. Serve the local church. Brothers and sisters, Christ died for the church. He didn't dry, die for denominations. Praise God for every good thing that an association of churches does, but build your life around a healthy church. Do whatever you can to find a healthy church and then establish yourself in that healthy church so that you can receive the benefits and you can also help provide benefits that Jesus Christ himself has provided through that mechanism. This is his idea. And as you do so, if you're Southern Baptist, if you're is affiliated with that, well, good. Now, don't treat that as the most important thing in the world, but if you're gonna be affiliated with it, try to work for its health. If you're not affiliated with the Southern Matters Convention, fine, You know that's fine too, you've got a local church, build your life around that church, but don't be completely unconcerned about what happens in the SBC, because what happens in the SBC matters, and it will have an impact that ripples out through the evangelical world in North America and indeed around the world through our mission endeavors. Mm.
0: Well, I think we did it, Tom. I think we covered the landscape. Oh, no, no. we left a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> we
1: didn't yeah. even talk about Sermon Gates. There's so, a you lot know. of stuff in day. Maybe We'll
0: come back to those things. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. So grateful for y'all who listen and who have encouraged us, uh, not only up in Nashville at the convention, but even over the past many months. Yeah. Thank you for sending all that. We encourage you. Grow not weary in doing good, for we will reap if we don't give up.